Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, where there's just so much to talk about. Like what? Well, for the past couple hundred episodes now, we've talked about all kinds of fascinating topics with guests from just about every pregnancy, parenting, and politics arena, and I love it, especially right now when we're still stuck at home with limited social opportunities. I get to pick up the phone hit record, and talk with the most fascinating people. It's a very cool gig. So I had a big birthday this month, and I think that birthdays are a really good opportunity for me to ask myself the big hard question that I start every podcast episode with. Who are you and what do you do? Sometimes that question's a real hard one for my guests to answer. Um, What I've found personally is that my answer changes all the time, depending on what's going on in my life and what pans I have on the fire. So right now, my answer is I'm a writer, podcaster, registered nurse, writing coach, and the author of the books Common Sense Pregnancy and Mom Side of the Story. Now, Common Sense Pregnancy is available wherever you buy your books, but Mom Side of the Story is sold exclusively from my website, It's a special book that I created just for you to help you document your own pregnancy experience and keep track of this time of your life. You know, like what happened during your prenatal visits? Where are we in the world? And, you know, what's happening around you? I made it as a way to, for you to make your plans and write yourself as the main character in your baby's life story. It's sort of your workbook for answering the big question during this very, very important time of your life. Who are you and what do you do? Go pick up your copy at jeanfaulkner.com, mom's side of the story. Okay, and what do I do? Well, I spend the biggest chunk of my workday writing for clients and writing articles. I spend another big chunk of my workday coaching writers about how to get their book ideas, writing careers, or podcasts out of their heads and onto the page and into the store. I love this gig a lot too. And right now I'm welcoming writers and hope to be writers who are getting serious about, uh, you know, doing their writing, actually doing what they've been thinking about for so long. I have a few rare openings right now um, because a few of my clients are in the final pages of writing their manuscripts, sending them off to their publishers And their books will be in all the usual stores next year. Now, if that's something you want to do too, shoot me an email at gene at genefaulkner.com. Let me know if you want to work together. Now, I know you have something to write about, right? So what about the rest of who am I? What do I do? I'm a mother of adult kids. I've been married for decades. I'm crazy about my dogs, the birds in my yard, and I do a lot of cooking. That's sort of this year's nutshell for who am I and what do I do. I really encourage you to ask yourself those two questions from time to time and really consider your answers thoughtfully. If your answers aren't ones that you like or you feel like don't really represent yourself or aren't helping you live the life you aspire to, well, then maybe it's time to start creating new answers, huh? Uh, Let's see. What's in the news? Well, COVID's gotten super scary again, just when we were all starting to relax a little, especially bad in Florida, many Southern states and the West Coast. Um, Cases are rising like crazy. Hospitals are flooded and desperate with, they're flooded with patients and desperate again. We were doing so good with the earlier months of lockdown people. So good. Then When governors started opening the doors, people rushed out and they got complacent. Some people are being deliberate about getting together socially, no masks, no social distancing. Um, These folks are becoming the super spreaders of this wildly contagious virus. Um, Most people aren't like that, thank God. Most people see the science and sensibility of wearing a mask, but some people are just all put out about it which I think is just a whole lot of dangerous nonsense. Let me tell you, like any nurse, doctor, midwife, or healthcare expert would say, that's just not 
wearing a mask is just not dangerous. It, I spent 20 years wearing a mask while being a nurse for hours and hours during my shifts. And it was simply a necessary medical device that protected my patients and me and all the other people that I come in contact with. It was a necessary medical device. And right now, every damn one of us is a potential patient. Every one of us needs to use this necessary medical device. And if everyone would wear this ma- their masks whenever they're in public, we'd knock this virus out. So just do it, will you? Just wear the mask. It's literally the least you can do. Okay, what else? Well, this week I actually have a pretty serious call to action in the politics arena that I need you to help out with today. That is, if you are listening to this episode before July 15th, 2020, I need you to go leave a comment, your voice, about how you feel about the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security proposal to change the rules that apply to asylum seekers. This uh, new proposal, this new rule, creates a path to asylum that is so narrow so few people will qualify um, that people who come to the U.S. because they have credible, life-threatening, or inhumane conditions in their own country, um, those people won't qualify. Those folks won't be given asylum. The proposed provisions in the rule would prevent some of the most vulnerable populations from being granted asylum in the United States. And as written right now, as proposed, It violates the 1951 United Nations Convention relating to the status of refugees. It's a shocking violation of American values and global leadership, which we are seriously lacking in. America has always opened its doors to protect the most vulnerable people on earth. You know, you just think about, think about when earthquakes strike, when uh, a typhoon demolishes a country overseas. America is always the biggest, fastest, on-the-ground contributor of money and human power, willing to help in any way we can. People are generous here. We help people because we can. We have the skills. We want to be there for people. And this new rule, being proposed by Department of Homeland Security and Department of Justice, um, it's in direct opposition to those values. And it is just one more anti-immigrant, anti-woman anti-BIPOC policy um, to happen to America in the last three and a half years. But this time, there's something you can do. Yes, obviously, keep doing everything you can to change government leadership at every level, as we've talked about before. Vote, campaign, donate to candidates, sign up um, voters, um, elect candidates that represent your values. But as I also said before, if you're listening to this before July 15th, I want you to take an additional action right now. I want you to go to regulations.gov and I want you to tell the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice that you oppose the attempt to end asylum and protection for vulnerable populations. They're taking comments until July 15, 2020. You can submit a comment online at regulations.gov with any data, arguments, or views you have on this proposed rule. The title of the regulation is Procedures for Asylum and Withholding of Removal, Credible Fear and Reasonable Fear Review. I know it's a mouthful, but you have um, you have a voice in this and it's powerful. To learn more about it, go to texasimpact.org. And look for a piece titled, New Proposed Rule Will End Asylum. Um, Learn up and then go on over to regulations.gov and leave your comments. This is something that's fast, easy, and effective and a way for you to add your voice to this very important conversation. That's regulations.gov. All right, folks, that is enough of a ramble for this week. Let's take a real, real quick break and then... Let's call this week's guest. All right, we're back and we are ready to chat with a woman who has a very unique perspective on anxiety, environmental sustainability, pregnancy and parenting, and the power of 
bringing nature into your home and your life. So with everyone on the planet in the middle of a pandemic, with stress levels off the charts, and with daily challenges like nothing we've ever seen before, we need the healing, stress-relieving benefit that we can all get from nature. Raquel Cohen is the creator and owner of Infinite Succulent, a botanical styling art and education service dedicated to reconnecting people with the infinite power of nature. Raquel possesses an extensive background in environmental education with educator positions at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and the Monterey Bay Aquarium. She obtained a master's in marine conservation from Scripps Institute of Oceanography and has written and developed numerous educational programs for students of all ages. Raquel is also the author of the succulent craft book, Infinite, Infinite Succulent, Living Art to Keep Her Share. Let's get Raquel on the line. Hi, Raquel. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hey, Jeannie. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to. So where are you in the country? I am in North San Diego County in an area called San Marcos. All right. So you're on the other end of the country from me, just almost, because I'm up in Portland, Oregon. So you're way down just across the border from Mexico. Yeah, pretty much. We're probably about an hour drive from the border. Yeah. Yeah. About as different as different can be from Portland, Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's it like where you are right now? Because I'm sweating oh. over here in San Diego. <laughs> oh, we're just, we're at that point in the year where the sun is just starting to come out consistently. So it, yeah, it is. And I'm so grateful for every sunny day. So today is sunny, a little breezy. I think it's probably in the 70s, though I haven't been out much today. It's just about perfect. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I actually, I came, I visited Portland probably about nine years ago now, and I love that city. Yeah, it's a cool one. It's a good place to be. It's been such a long, dark winter and dark mm. in so many different, you know, senses yeah. of the word, what with COVID-19 and you know, all the political unrest. So yeah. the fact that the sun is out now in Portland is just, it's a godsend. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting, we're getting um, off topic just a little bit because I usually like to start this off with asking the super hard question. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> so my name is Raquel or Rachel Cohen, and I am I'm an environmental educator. I'm a lot of other things too, but my main, my main focus is on speaking for nature. I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees. <laughs> um, I My background's in environmental education. I used to work at Monterey Bay Aquarium and San Diego Zoo. And in the last four years, I started my own business called Infinite Succulent. And in that business, I am a botanical stylist, an artist, a teacher, and an author. Yeah. So you and I know each other from my, you know, writer's coaching work. Yes. And I wanted to have you on the podcast because your area of expertise kind of offers um, this podcast conversation something different in that we haven't really talked to an environmentalist and a plant specialist before. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to have you take our listeners a little bit on the journey of how you got here to where you mm. are now. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I love keeping, that. It is keeping in mind, you know, my listeners are, you know, a lot of pregnant women, brand new parents, some mm -hmm. older parents too, but they're pretty new to the game. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I love you that. Have something to offer. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I actually think that parenthood plays a a big part in where I am right now because Prior to becoming a parent, I'm, I have a, two daughters. They're age six and age eight right now. And prior to having my daughters, I wasn't really even that interested in plants, <laughs> believe it or not. I was very much interested in animals and in ocean and in habitats and in the earth. But my focus wasn't really on the 
plants. I really saw plants more as like places for animals to live and things for us to eat. Um, but then I got pregnant with my first daughter and plants really started to um, just take more of my attention. I just found myself really intrigued with plants. I started wanting to fill my home with plants, which I had never been good at before. <laughs> I had tried and killed many a house plant. Um, but there was something about kind of transitioning from that maiden space to that mother space where the plants started coming in very strong for me as guides, as uh, inspiration. And so I started bringing plants in. And then about a year after the birth of my second daughter, the plants came to me in a brand new way. I, I was suffering with some pretty deep postpartum anxiety and depression. And I have had experience with depression and anxiety prior to that as well. But this time around, being a mother of a like a 10-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, um, insomnia hit really hard. And here I was getting maybe two hours of sleep a night and trying to be a mother to young children. And I just felt like I was spiraling into this place of deep, unrooted fear. And my, I found a therapist, thankfully, I found a really wonderful therapist and, and was able to gain some help and support. And she told me that I should start doing something creative. She said, I think you're really stuck um, energetically and maybe try to just write a little bit, find a way to find some flow and, and get creative. And so um, at first I just started journaling more. Um, and then I started actually feeling a, a interest in creating art. And I, I was really, ever since I moved to California in 2005, I was so enraptured with these plants called succulents. Do you have succulents where you are? Yeah, I have a, a whole windowsill full. Yeah. So I didn't even know what they were before I moved to California. Um, and when I moved here, I just saw them everywhere. I mean, you have the regular crassula, the jade plants, but then you have these ones that look like flowers and they've got these chubby leaves. And I started learning that when you clip them, uh, unlike flowers, when you cut flowers, they only have a certain lifespan before they, they die. But with succulents, you clip them and they'll start regrowing roots and they just have this will to survive. And, and I just was so inspired by them. And so I started creating little bits of art, little terrariums, little arrangements using succulents. Uh, and I did it during my kid's afternoon nap. And for the first time, probably since maybe college or even, even before then, even since like childhood, I, I found myself in a state of flow where my mind was quiet. Like I didn't have racing thoughts. I didn't have a constant checklist in my head of things I needed to get done or things I, I should be worrying about. Like it was just quiet and I was present and I was I was just interacting with the plants and with the soil and with the stones and and I found such peace in those moments that um very quickly my my house became inundated with plant art. <laughs> because uh, I found so much medicine in that activity and I started gifting it to friends and then they asked me to create pieces to gift to their friends and slowly but surely I, I kind of created a business but for me it all started from a place of wanting to feel better wanting to feel good wanting to tap into the present moment and just the the inspiration and the connectivity and the presentness of life itself um, and that's what the plants do for me every single time, every time. <laughs> so anxiety, I think, is super, super prevalent. I think yes. a lot of mothers, especially first timers or yeah. moms that have, you know, a couple of back to backers like you do. Um, yeah. I think we don't talk about it enough. Postpartum depression gets a little bit more um, conversation, but postpartum anxiety is huge. I know I certainly felt it because, I mean, they're so vulnerable. We have no idea what we're doing. The world <laughs> is a big, scary, dangerous place, and we're mm -hmm. isolated and lonely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like life stops just because you're in a cocoon with your babies. The world is still swirling around you. And I um, definitely felt anxious. 
think that my saving grace was just pure busyness, you know, Mm. I just, Mm. I was working and I was raising kids and I was, you know, I had a lot of family responsibilities, so I wasn't, um, able to really, I, I had a lot of things to focus on. Yeah. And I was fortunate that my anxiety didn't demand my full focus, which, so that's sort of like a spectrum of anxious people, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where, where do you think you landed on that spectrum? Oh, I was in the full, like, uh, spiraling thought side of it. I was in that place of anxiety where it becomes um, not something you can just kind of tap down in order to go on. Because for me, when I was in that place, it's like, yeah, I could, you know, cook the meals, I could make sure the kids were bathed, I could do all of that. But my heart and my mind weren't fully present. My heart and my mind were spiraling even during those activities. So, so, and I think one of, you know, it's interesting what you mentioned about the postpartum anxiety not being as spoken about. And I think part of that is that I think we, many of us just have chalked up anxiety to be just a part of our daily existence at this point. Right. Um, we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a, a side effect of the life we lead. And I, I challenge that now. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you and I have talked at length about what it was like for you to be an environmental educator and how um, it sort of had a catastrophic focus and that that, too, kind of led to your your anxiety and to sort of reevaluating your focus in your career. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, my first experience with anxiety beyond a situational, oh, I'm feeling a little anxious about this and this happening. Like my first experience with real, what they would diagnose as generalized anxiety disorder, right? If you're going to give it a diagnosis was mm-hmm. when I was getting my master's um, in biodiversity and conservation, uh, marine biodiversity and conservation, excuse me. So I was getting my master's at Scripps Institute of Oceanography here in La Jolla, California. And it was a lot of doom and gloom, just a ton of doom and gloom. And a lot of like, we have to know what's happening and how bad things are so that we can try to resolve them, which I, I totally understand. But for me, it felt like the focus of so much of what they were teaching us was almost this like, like, Oh, if, if like, like fear is going to be the catalyst for change, right. That's what it felt like. Like so much of the environmental movement for me in terms of my education felt like let's, let's tell people what's happening so they can see how bad it is. So we can be in fear so that we'll change it. But fear doesn't motivate people. Fear paralyzes people, (laughs) at least, I mean, and everyone's different. I don't want, that's a very sweeping generalization, but in my experience, fear is not a motivator. Fear, fear for me almost makes me give up all hope. Yeah. It makes people shrink back. You shrink back in fear. That's what you do. Yes. Or you lash out in fear. Right. Fight or flight. It's the fight or flight, which um, we can talk a lot about the nervous system in a bit as well, but um that's what was happening for me. And so I just got so anxious during trying to get my master's degree that that was my first time going to get some help, getting on some anti-anxiety medication uh, and, and really trying to ascertain different mental tools that I can use to deal with my strong emotions. <laughs> but yeah. I think with in the environmental field as well, there's just, there's so much focus I find in the lack of things. Like we talk a lot about the carrying capacity of the earth. We talk a lot about sustainability and resources. And I think sometimes we make it seem as though the earth itself is so finite. Um, and I don't want to discredit people within the field because I believe strongly in the field and I believe strongly in environmental science and in conservation biology and all of it. But I think it's important for us to recognize also that the issues we face as a population, as a human population as right now, isn't so much about like lack of resources as much as it is about the, the um, 
access to resources. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot about, oh, water and access to water. But here's the amazing thing about water. Every single drop of water we have on Earth is all the water that's ever been on Earth, ever. <laughs> it's just constantly recycled through our system. And that's what's so amazing about this just fantastic planet. And so when you recognize something like that, it kind of reminds me of the whole thing about energy. Like energy is never really created or destroyed. It's just kind of changed, right? So Mm -hmm. when you think about the earth from that standpoint, that the earth is constantly able to regenerate, the earth is constantly recycling resources, then the issue is not so much about there not being enough resources. It's about how do we make sure that the appropriate resources are getting where they need to be? Because we, we see it like... We live here in the United States of America, which is a Western developed nation, and we could go into almost any grocery store and see more food than we could ever eat in a lifetime. Um, And yet we also know that there's places in the world where there is no access to food, but it's not because of lack of food. It's because of lack of food in that space. Yeah. So I think there's just certain, for me personally, I just found that certain aspects within the conservation and environmental education movement ended up making me feel extremely constricted um, and extremely anxious about the future of humanity on this planet, which I don't think is where we want people to be feeling. Right. <laughs> we want right. people to think that there's hope so that they want to, you know, better the situation for the earth, better the situation for other people, for themselves. Yeah. There are some institutions that do a very good job of that. I ha- I do want to give a big shout out to uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, where I worked for almost five years, um, because they, they are very big on inspiring hope for change, as opposed to using fear for change. Well, if we translate that back into the parenthood arena, mm. you kind of brought that sensitivity and that anxiety, and then you had a couple of babies to raise. <laughs> Yeah. In this, in this scary world of ours. And yeah. so how did you discover that plants were a solution for you? So my first discovery was through the creativity side of it, mm-hmm. using the plants as a way to reconnect with my own creative force. Um, because I think sometimes as adults, we don't give enough ourselves enough time to just play or just make art for art's sake, right? (laughs) To just do something for the joy of doing it without it being any kind of monetary compensation for it or, you know, promoting a certain thing or for it to use it in any capacity, but you're just creating it for the act of creation in itself. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a very powerful medicine for me, both being outside, working with the plants, which have their own physiological impacts on our body, working with the soil, which a lot of microbes in soil actually impact the human body in very positive ways as well. Um, I worked a lot with crystals and with stones and the art that I was creating. So it was the, the materials I was using and then the act in itself of allowing myself to get into a creative space that just allowed me to You know what it did is it took me out of that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight place where my brain was functioning in. That's what the monkey mind is, right? That's what anxiety is. It's your fear response. And so your body is functioning from a place of stress. But when I was getting present and when I was getting creative and making that art, my body was actually transitioning back into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and restoration place of functioning. And that's where, you know, our bodies start repairing themselves, restoring themselves. That's where our immune system gets boosted. And that's where we really should be functioning more on a day-to-day level, but we're just not because we have been conditioned to feel that the stressors of life are life. Um, So, yeah. So what you learned was plant care as self-care. Yes, exactly. And then it grew from that too, (laughs) because at first it was just like making art and it was fun. And then I started to bring more plants inside the house, but then it became a business. And when it became a business, it brought in all its own new stressors, right? Like when you take something that you do as a hobby and then you try and monetize it, it can suck some of the joy out of it for you. And so I was experiencing some of that as well. And so the plants started 
to ask me to go a little deeper. I mean, maybe I was asking myself to go a little deeper, but regardless, when I was working with the plants, I was starting to get certain messages of more stillness, like finding more times for me to be still. And I had never been someone who meditated before then, (laughs) was not interested. And I would do like go for walks and I would consider that my meditation or do my, my swims. I, I love to swim. And so I considered my swims like a moving meditation. But within about a year after first starting to work with the plants, I felt compelled to start just sitting quietly and allowing myself to focus on my breath. Um, and I started meditating and I've been meditating for two years now, every single day, (laughs) Um, finding that connection. And I actually, you know, it's funny, Jeannie, I had an epiphany the other day (laughs) while I was meditating. And I realized that every morning when I meditate, I'm actually trying to kind of turn my energy to be similar to the energy of my plants. (laughs) Like, I feel like my morning meditation is me like becoming a plant in some ways. Because I, yeah, well, I actually physically, as I do my morning meditation, I physically and visually imagine like roots coming out of my body, growing into the ground, into earth. I imagine as if there were like leaves from my head absorbing the sunlight so I could really breathe in that. And I, I recognize that the stillness that I seek in those moments is the same essence that I get when I work with my plants. (laughs) So you realized that if plants could have that huge of an impact on your health and your life and your well-being, that it could help other people, right? Yes. you, You wrote a book. Let's talk about your first book. Yes. Well, my first book is really a craft book. It's just a fun craft book. I really wanted for people to learn more about succulents and how versatile they are and how you can really how sustainable they are as well. And that you can clip them and make them into numerous types of art pieces and reuse them over and over again and replant them. And so the book that I created, which is called Infinite Succulents, Miniature Living Art to Keep or Share, it's all crafts that are small in size so that they're very easily accessible to people. Often it's with materials you can find around your house or just in your backyard. I really want this to be a book that people can do with their kids, um, with friends, or little birthday parties, things like that. And I was very blessed the way this book came to me. It was one of those just random I opened up my email one day and there was an email from an editor at a publishing house and they wanted a succulent craft book and wow, what a blessing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that hardly ever happens. No, I don't. I mean, geez. Actually, the, though, it happened to you and it's happened to me. So maybe it happens more often than we know. Oh, uh, well, that's amazing. Congra- congratulations for you too. I'm glad that happened for you. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's sort of been yeah. happening like that all along the way. Things are yeah. showing up for you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I yeah. find that most of the most amazing things I've manifested are not things I've gone after. They've just kind of showed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is which is very cool. So that book is yeah. is it's fun. It's beautiful. I had a wonderful photographer that I worked with, and so the the vibrancy of the photos really bring it to life. Um, and so if anyone's interested, you can find that you know wherever books are sold. Uh, but that book really, actually, as soon as I started writing that book, it really spurred me on into knowing that there was another book inside of me that really wanted to be written. Um, and that's what I'm working with you on right now, Jeannie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So yeah. The, Go for the it. book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The book I'm working on right now, uh, the the working title is called Cultivate, Growing Wellness Through Plant Appreciation, and it digs deep into the physical, emotional, and spiritual health and wellness benefits of living intentionally with plants. So, I mean, we go into things like making teas and tinctures out of medicinal herbs and flowers to some of the best house plants to bring into your house, to creating art, to, um, to even doing things like creating a little sacred space, a, a reflection space in your own home using plants as well. So basically for me, this book that I'm writing right now, in some ways it kind of follows the journey I've been on 
which is that the plants have led me into more wellness from a very physical and emotional standpoint, and then really brought in an aspect of spirituality in this last year and a half, two years, that was very much buried before then. So the book, oh, it's, it's such a, a, a labor of love right now. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just fascinating. It's like the more I learn, the more, the more there is to learn, right? It, just, it feels like I'm unearthing so much, both ancient and modern wisdoms and just learning so much more. And each, each thing that I learn just solidifies for me more and more the fact that the plants are completely our life support system here on Earth. Like we couldn't exist without plant life, period period. <laughs> yeah. So they deserve a little bit more respect than to rot in the corners of our apartments. Yeah. Rot in the corners of our apartments or just, I mean, even in the sense of our daily interactions, I think most of us go throughout our lives, barely even noticing their presence. Um, I think that's changing, which is really cool. And I actually have a theory behind that as well. Um, Do share. <laughs> but I think that, and I know this was the case for me, you know, uh, here I am someone who is super connected to nature, yet the plants were like an afterthought for a very long time. I was all into the dolphins and the birds and the lions and like the animals, the, I would, that animals were my main focus and the plants were just, just, you know, oh, there they are. That's pretty kind of thing. Yeah. So We've really seen, for anyone who is on social media, who's on Instagram, um, who even on YouTube, there is a big, huge plant community. Um, plants are totally on trend right now. People are filling their homes with plants again. You'll see it in a lot of boutique hotels and restaurants and coffee houses and, and just all kinds of public spaces too. Um, just people really bringing in a lot more plants and people being interested in plants and people taking a lot of selfies with plants. <laughs> What's um, your theory as to why? My theory is because we're recognizing that we need to reconnect with nature. Yeah. I, my theory is that we have been disconnected from nature for a long time. And I think that's why so many of us are operating in a place of stress. I actually believe that it's our disconnect from nature that is spurring on a lot of our disconnect from each other and is also spurring on a lot of the health conditions that we're seeing, especially health conditions related to things like um, chronic, chronic illness, autoimmune disease, uh, stress-related disease. I think all of that is very much connected with our disconnection from the natural world. So I, I think I returning, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the return to plants is more than just it looks pretty on Instagram. I think it's much, much deeper than that. And I think it comes back to the fact that we know that plants have been our home for 99% of human history. Yeah. And that's a deep remembering we have within us and it's coming back up. And I think that's a beautiful thing. That's very inspiring. Yeah. And the great thing about plants is that um, they're portable. They're accessible. <laughs> You may not be able to escape to your mountain retreat in the middle of woods, but right. you can bring nature into your home. You can yeah. be mindful of what you plant in your your patio or your yard or your windowsill. You know, you can have a relationship with plants and be really intentional with them. Yeah. And I think one of the things, especially with, you know, the, the whole quarantine and with the amount of time we're all spending in our homes right now, I think it's so important to recognize that we can bring nature in. We really can bring nature into our homes and we can interact with the nature in our homes in very similar ways as we do with the nature outside of our homes. Yeah. And there's so many health benefits to bringing plants into our homes, um, which I'll, I'll be happy to chat about if you're interested, if you think your, your listeners would be interested in that. Well, bring, give, give us a couple of, of bits of information there. Yeah, I'll give you three pretty quickly. So the first one is air, uh, oxygen production. Plants mm -hmm. produce oxygen. So, you know, we all like to breathe. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're all into, you know, breathing and breathing fresh air. So the more plants you bring into your home, the more plants are able to absorb the carbon dioxide that you are exhaling and the more they're able to create oxygen for you to inhale, the, the fresher air you'll have in your home. That's really important. 
This, mm -hmm. this one's a little bit more debated, but plants have the ability to absorb toxins from our air as well. And people don't often know this, but according to EPA studies, there is actually two to five times more toxins in our indoor air than our outdoor air. So, and these are things that could be, you know, dust, molds, spores, things like that. But it's also what's known as VOCs or volatile organic compounds, which are all kinds of chemicals that off gas off of so many of our like just daily materials paints, flooring, wood, paper products, plastics. I mean, pretty much everything we have in our home, most things are off-gassing something. Mm -hmm. So plants are able to actually absorb that. And then with the helpful microbes in their soil, they're able to absorb those toxins, alchemize them back into growth material for the plants. So the more plants you have in the home, the more those plants are able to kind of scrub or clean your air. So that's Love also- that. Yeah, Love fantastic. It. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, there's, you know, in terms of which plants are able to absorb which specific chemicals, there's been some studies. There needs to be a lot more because there's hundreds of thousands of plants and there's maybe been like 30 to 50 plants actually studied, but but it's enough to know that like, hey, plants can do this and that's a good thing. And then the third thing that plants bring into our homes, which is extremely vital for how our homes feel is negative ions. Are you familiar with negative ions, Jeannie? A little bit, but my listeners might not be. So let's come explain it a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not going to go too much into the science, first of all, because I am still wrapping my head around some of it, but, and also because it, it can get boring, but negative ions are basically like, they're, they're little subatomic particles that actually they're called negative ions, but they actually have a positive charge. <laughs> so it's kind of confusing, but the negative ions are ions that when we breathe them in, they um, reduce anxiety. They kind of, they do the same thing that, the, that, that nature does in the wild for us, which is that it naturally reduces that sympathetic nervous system, reduces that, that kind of stress response and brings us into more of that parasympathetic rest and restore response. So when we breathe in negative ions, we actually boost our immune system, reduce our stress load. And it's also been found to um, create more like inspiration in people. Like people tend to be more productive and more inspired and more creative in areas with lots of negative ions. So, so for example, like when you go to the beach yeah. or when you go up to the, when you go into a forest, when you first walk into a forest and you kind of take that deep breath and you can, it feels like your whole body is kind of sighing, right? Like, like I can breathe again. And when you first walk down on the beach, these are areas that have huge amounts of negative ions. Uh, negative ions are abundant in natural areas. They, they are abundant. You also can feel them after like a thunderstorm, mm -hmm. after lightning, there's tons of negative ions in the air. And so when we're exposed to negative ions, it's really good for our health. Unfortunately, most man-made structures do not have man negative ions in them. They're, they're found only in nature. So when we are able to bring nature into our homes and we know that plants release negative ions, then when we bring them into our homes, that means that they're releasing negative ions into our homes and our homes would not have them without plants. So they're little, they're little miracle workers. It's they really are. Yeah. And do you know what's really fascinating? I just discovered this in the research I was doing. What? There's also positive ions. Um, the positive ions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of confusing because negative ions are positive for human health and positive ions are negative for human. <laughs> and so positive ions. Have you heard of, you lived in LA for a while, right, Jeannie? Yeah. I grew up there. Lived yeah. There so, and decades. So, you know, when the Santa Ana winds come through mm -hmm. and they say, oh, people get a little weird during Santa Ana's. Yes, they did. Yes, they do. Those winds, those dry, arid winds that kind of come from the deserts are packed with positive ions and it makes people go a little crazy. It makes people get a little loopy. Some people get really bad migraines. Some people start feeling really some people just have complete mental fog, but it impacts us in this like very um, mental, emotional way. And I thought that was so fascinating that um, it's these winds that are coming off the deserts that are they just filled with these positive ions that have these effects on us. 
positive ions with negative effects. That yeah. is just so much polarity. It's so I know. chemistry. There's probably some physics in there. Yeah. We're being science chicks here. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end of our conversation, but I have some rapid fire, rabbit up questions for you. Before we get to that, though, if I, we, you were going to tell my listeners who might be absolute plant beginners, yes. um, what three plants should they pick up? Oh, I love this question. What okay. The first one, definitely the Sansevieria, also known as the snake plant. And there's many different types. They come in lots of different shapes and sizes, but Sansevieria, super easy. They can live in high, like bright light and low light. They are fine being watered once or twice a month. Super easy plants. They're also amazing air purifiers and oxygen producers. So Sansevieria is number one. Two is pothos or what's called devil's ivy. Although I'd be, I'd be happy if we could change that to immortal ivy okay. <laughs> as opposed okay. to devil's ivy um, because they are very hard to kill. That's why they got the name devil's ivy. Right. Uh, they, and there's lots of different types of pothos as well, but they also, they're vining. So they're great spilling plants. They're great for like a top of a bookshelf or if you like the ones that kind of spill downwards, mm-hmm. fantastic. They do well in low light with very little water needs as well. And the third, I'm going to say aloe vera. Mm, I love the aloe vera plant so much. And so aloe vera is kind of like a sansevieria. It is a type of succulent. So just with that alone, it doesn't need a ton of water. Aloe vera would like a little bit more sunlight than the sansevieria, but it'll be totally happy in a windowsill on your house. And then aloe vera, the gel inside the aloe vera plant has so much medicine in it. I use it to um, treat my dog's wounds, <laughs> like when she licks at herself. I use it for face masks, hair masks. You know, a lot of people who ingest it and it's just, it's packed with medicine. So, oh, it's also wonderful for sunburns and any scrapes that like if your kids fall or you fall and get a little scrape, um, just amazing healing plants. So those are my top three. Awesome. Awesome. Great. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. They're hard questions and I ask them fast. Okay. What role does feminism and politics play in your life? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. It's, 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 I, I'm a big believer that the personal is political. Mm-hmm. <laughs> politics is more than just, you know, people trying to get votes. Politics is how our world runs. So I see it as a very personal thing. And feminism is the same thing. For me, feminism is about seeing equal access for everyone. It's not just a, a woman's issue versus a man's issue. It's about equality. Yeah. So that's for me what feminine, and that's a core value in my life. So yeah. without that, you know, it, 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 everything that I do is wrapped around these ideas that we all, as humans, we're all equal. Um, we should all be equal, I should say, because obviously, as we're seeing in the world right now, that is very much taken for granted. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're at in the world at this point is that most of us actually do believe that we should all have access to equal um, conditions in life. So, yeah. That was a good answer. Right. <laughs> Question number two, how do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, I love this question. Nobody ever told me that you get to choose your thoughts. <laughs> that's a good one. Yes. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. You get to choose what you think about and what yeah. you think about is what becomes. Yes. Yeah. You get to choose your thoughts. Like uh, that, that was a big, when I, and it's still, it can, it can be a struggle. It can be, but I always know that it is a choice and that is so empowering. Yeah. All right. My last question for you then is this, where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Hmm. Where do I stand in the world of motherhood? Oh, I stand for earth, who is the greatest mother of all. Mm. Mother of all of us, for sure. Yeah. So for me, being that I stand for earth, for me, I feel like that is the essence in some ways of who I am. You know, before I even I was a mother, I was still mothering in my the, the energy I was bringing to the world because teaching is a form of mothering, right? Um, yep. Yep. Inspiring is a form of mothering. Yeah. And that's very much what I see my role is to teach, inspire. 
so um, and again, for me, it's all about nature. It's all about Earth herself, and and she is the greatest mother. So yeah, perfect, great. Well, Raquel, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and have you teach us something that we haven't talked about before on the podcast. This has been great. Oh, Jeannie, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor, and I just. I just love the work that you do and, and, and the voice that you put out into the world. And I love working with you so much, Jeannie. Oh, good. Well, a, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's really lovely to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've right. been a huge, uh, huge force of inspiration and, and, and um, real, a real motivator for me. So I really thank you for that. Well, I'm really grateful that you're putting your, your full truth and story out in the world because I truly believe that we are all living history right now. And we are documenting, writing, and teaching the history that we want future generations to know. And for the first time in human history, we're able to do that from not just limited and exclusive perspectives. Yeah. We're able, we can all do it. So it's great. Yeah. That's so powerful. So powerful. We're writing history right now. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, we are. Mm. All right, my friend. I'm going to let you go. And you and I are going to talk again soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Jeannie. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. That's it for this week, everybody. Let's do a quick recap of what I need you to do this week. Go to regulations.gov and leave your comment on procedures for asylum and withholding of removal, credible fear and reasonable fear review. It's as easy as writing a text. You can learn more about this week's guest, Raquel Cohen, at infinitesucculent.com. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com. Email me, gene at genefaulkner.com. Tweet me at genefaulkner. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. We are produced by Recluse Records. Bye-bye, everybody. We'll talk again next week.